Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week, Professor Andy Taylor, who is, uh, has been a guest on our program many, many times uh, and is a keen observer of politics, not only in the state of North Carolina, but across the country as well. We have focused pretty much in this program on what is happening in nationwide and how it's affecting the transition and also the, uh, the current situation with regard to impeachment. I want to turn now, Andy, if you will, to North Carolina politics, because North Carolina probably followed what is a little closer to what we would have expected than a lot of states. And for example, North Carolina um, did mostly reelect, especially on the local scene, Republican politicians to serve in the General Assembly. Um, uh, uh, We reelected Senator Tillis. Uh, and uh, we reelected the governor. So it was pretty much a, an election that uh, didn't surprise a lot of people in many respects. Where do we go from here, and what is the fallout with regards to the Donald Trump situation for the state of North Carolina and its Republican Party? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, the, uh, of the, all of the Republicans um, voted... Uh, this week in the impeachment to um, not impeach or against impeachment of President Trump, with the exception of um, Greg Murphy, who from the from the third district, who who wasn't there, but said he would have uh, voted with his Republican colleagues. So we didn't have none of the ten were from North Carolina, um, which makes you think that. I guess implied from that is that Trump, the extent that Trump has control still or significant hold over still at the Republican parties across the country, yeah, his, uh, his, his grip in North Carolina is pretty firm. Uh, but I mentioned earlier on that, you know, he's going to be going from the scene. And I think that there's all sorts of dynamics that that's going to unleash um, and opportunities for people to fight over his legacy, and and maybe those people who have been opponents of of the of Trump within the Republican Party to come out and and, and start uh, making some noise. Um, the we we're still going to be in a state a, a situation of divided government uh, in North Carolina with um, Governor Cooper and Republican majorities in the House and Senate, and Republican majority in the House actually increased slightly, which was a little bit of a surprise for most people. Um, uh, the, the state went for Trump. Um, uh, but, you know, with him gone, um, and also, you know, with much of the Republican agenda really enacted um, in the last decade, um, I'm not sure you'll see a lot of kind of real energy or, or sort of offensive um, attacking political um action from from the republicans i think they want to protect a lot of the things that they uh, gains that they've made uh in the 2010s in, at the state level um they will be looking at trying to get some changes done in regulatory policy particularly i think uh but other than that you know they're going to be forced to work with governor cooper who has his agenda they all of them have a, a full plate with the response to coronavirus pandemic and in north carolina we're not doing a great job in some of these metrics at the moment uh, particularly in vaccinations 
and we're near the bottom of the, of the 50 states in terms of the uh, vaccination rollout. So they've got to kind of work on that. And then there's another round of redistricting as well, which will be very interesting, right? We, um, and under the North Carolina Constitution, the governor has no role to play. So it will just be the Republican majorities in the House and Senate who will be in charge of the um, state legislative and congressional redistricting for this decade, once we get the census data finalized, which we don't have at the moment. Uh, and um, But they will be perhaps chastened a little bit. We had a some ruling, uh, we had a ruling right at the last couple of years with regards to um, partisan gerrymandering uh, and the constitutionality of that. Um, and uh, that may force some a more cautious approach uh, by the Republicans in the General Assembly. Yeah, so there, all this stuff is going on and it's going to make for a very interesting time. The uh, redistricting, of course, almost everybody, while the census that is not out, almost everybody assumes that North Carolina will pick up an additional congressman due to our growth. Uh, does that make it less or more difficult for the Republicans to uh, redistrict in a way where they end up with that extra seat? Or is it more likely that that additional seat will end up uh, in a uh, district that uh, favors the Democrat? Well, it should make it more difficult um, because, you know, you're, you're dealing with the same number of voters or, and the same voters, but you've um, same split between the, the Democrats and the Republicans, but you've got another one there. Um, but it depends on how they, how they draw the districts. Um, at the moment, we have uh, an 8-5 Republican to Democratic split. And really, we only have an 8-5 because the last Congress, we had a 10-3 because of this ruling on partisan gerrymandering um, that effectively um, took two Republican districts and made them Democratic. Um, so we go to 8-5 with 13. With 14, um, it'll be you know very interesting to see where they as I said, where they put it. Democrats are at a little bit of a natural disadvantage when it comes to districting because Democrats tend to live in more concentrated together. Republicans a little bit more spread out. Um, and having a spread out population tends to favor parties uh, in legislative elections and winning seats. Um, but there will be, you know, an interesting battle over this. And what to look for in the congressional district, particularly on is not just between the parties, but within the parties, or particularly within the Republican Party, whether there are prominent Republicans who have a, an eye on a congressional career um, and will work uh, tremendously hard to get that new district, which, of course, would be a seat unoccupied and therefore presumably easier to win than unseating an incumbent, whether they can try to persuade um, the General Assembly to put that, that seat uh, close to their home. Well, as we've seen many, many times in redistricting, it creates strange bedfellows because sometimes self-preservation takes over and uh, a, a particular district might be uh, not appropriate but uh, is uh, favored by the incumbent that happens to be in that district. So there can be some strange bedfellows that come out of this situation and uh, that will remain to be seen. Uh, but uh, an 8-5 split could go 8-6 or it could go 9-5. Uh, it's likely that the five Democrats, from what I've looked at, are likely to uh, find themselves in a difficult position for re-election. 
So it will probably be that swing new district. And of course, North Carolina has now so many unaffiliated voters. It, we, we say that the district favors Democrats or Republicans. The swing in all of this are the independents who can, of course, change back and forth from election to election as far as how they actually vote when they get in the booth. Yes. And that group of voters is growing at a much faster rate, as you noted, Don, than um, people who, who are registering Democrat or Republican. Uh, and that's been a feature of the last decade of North Carolina politics. Um, uh, the, you mentioned the Democrats um, in the House, you know, um, particularly uh, Congressman Price and um, uh, Con Congresswoman Adams, maybe Cong Congressman um, Butterfield, uh, you know, they're getting on a little bit in age as well. Um, and if you have some flux or in the, those Democratic districts because of redistricting, maybe because Republicans are going after Democrats a little bit, uh, it, it may well be that you've got an opportunity here for some, new, for some younger Democrats um, to break into the, uh, the North Carolina congressional delegation. Uh, that was just something I thought of when you talked about those those five Democratic districts and and the fact that maybe the occupants should be a little bit wary during this uh, uh, redistricting season. Andy, one of the things that has concerned me when people register unaffiliated, and I've made it clear on this program several times that I happen to be one who has registered unaffiliated, uh, but uh, these people basically take themselves out of the possibility of being elected as a candidate. Do you see the possibility of independence or people who are registered unaffiliated uh, getting on ballots and actually having a chance to be elected in North Carolina, or will this take some change? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you know, there are, of course, there are two different types of non-democratic and Republican voters. There are the unaffiliated or independents, as you mentioned, but you can um, uh, register as a libertarian uh, candidate in North Carolina, uh, excuse me, as a libertarian voter in North Carolina. Um, and for, I think you can register as well as a Green or a Constitution Party uh, um, voter as well. Um, and so th there you could you could actually win a party's nomination. You are registered with that party and, and be a candidate in a general election for that political party um, uh, by not being a Republican or a Democrat. But if you're an independent, you're right, you, you, you can't. But my, my thinking is that most people who register independents have running for office is the least thing on their mind. They're not, not particularly so interested in doing it. Um, and that might be an expression of it. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of research that says that independents are less active and less interested in politics than registered Democrats and Republicans. So there is something to that. But, you know, if you're going to run an independent campaign or even a third party campaign, like a successful libertarian campaign, it's really difficult. I mean, you're going to need money um, and uh, you're going to need a, 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 a megaphone. Um, and it's easier to get the megaphone these days in, in the Internet age. But still, um, our system is geared to really ben uh, advantage Democratic and Republican candidates. And, uh, you know, it's it's tough to, to break through. Uh, we got to, There are a lot of other reforms that need to happen. Um, for, for independence to be a prominent in elected office, not just as a, a group of, of voters. Well, it's going to be certainly a, an interesting thing to watch. And of course, North Carolina continues to grow. Our growth is not going to stop with the uh, 
2020 election, uh, census, uh, the growth will continue. And as these new voters come in, many of them, of course, are coming in from out of state and have different political persuasions than the people who've been living here for a while. Our guest is uh, Andy Taylor, pres uh, professor of political science at North Carolina State, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Andy Taylor is our guest on this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. We've discussed the matters that have to do with the second impeachment of President Donald Trump. We've talked about the transition that is up and coming. We've talked about, uh, in, in many respects, the future after the presidency of both the Democratic and Republican parties. Uh, in this segment, uh, I want to sort of touch on some of those topics again and then look at uh, what uh, who you see as the rising stars in North Carolina politics. As we've stated a few moments ago, one of the things that will be coming up in two years is the seat currently held and has been held for some time by Senator Richard Burr. This seat will be very important to the Republicans because uh, they will be trying to regain control of the Senate, and they certainly can't afford to lose a state. So who are the rising stars that might be candidates, in your opinion, for the Republican nomination for the United States Senate two years hence? Well, one person has already said that they're going to run um, is Mark Meadows. Um, and, you know, he seems an obvious heir to the, the, the kind of Trump mantle in North Carolina, um, having been... Um, chief of staff for Trump, um, being a prominent supporter of Trump when he was uh, head of the Freedom Caucus in the House of Representatives. Um, and so, you know, there's a there's an, an obvious candidate there already announced. Um, if the if the dynamics of the party change um, greatly as a result of Trump. Um, moving out away from the scene uh you, you know you, you're likely to have a number of different challenges um i suspect 
coming out, people who might see that uh, a, a favorite of Trump's would be uh, disadvantaged or w- would not be as strong a candidate as perhaps you would think in from the vantage point of 2020. Um, so it, it's going to be a, it's going to be competitive. I mentioned the um, the midterm effect earlier on in our conversation that the president's party tends to do poorly in midterm elections. Well, it's going to be the Democrats in the White House. And so in a state like North Carolina, in a, Demo- in a, in a, a midterm with a Democratic president, you would think the value of a U.S. Senate seat would be pretty high. And therefore, that's likely to attract a lot of competition. Um, the, you know, and, and the, the, the Democrats will have um, a number of candidates as well. Um, that that will have their eye uh, on the seat. There are some uh, of the Democrats that might be. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm just trying to think. You know, I don't know whether Deborah Ross would be. I mean, it would be going straight from the House to the Senate. She'd only still be in a first House term, but she ran, of course, um, against Richard Burr last time um, in 2016, and quite creditably. You know, the, the the given the fact that Burr was pretty popular, uh, Trump won the state. Um, and many people thought that she did pretty well and perhaps um, did better than she would uh, than expected, even though she lost. So I'm not sure whether that's an, you know, an ambition of hers. There'll be a number of people in the General Assembly, I suspect. You know, people always talk about Attorney General Josh Stein and, and, and you know, his, his ambitions, although most people think he's got the governorship uh, more in his um, uh, crosshairs and and that would be for 2024. But perhaps, you know, people might persuade him to do it. Uh, but it's going to be very competitive. We've got so much so much attention and so much money for the for the race between um, Tillis and Cunningham this year or last year. Uh, I don't anticipate it be any different in 2022. Do you think, uh, even though you'll be in the middle of his uh, second term, do you think Senator, I mean, uh, Governor Cooper will be a possible prospect? He may be. Um, one of the... Th- I do think that Cooper's personality and his politics are better suited to executive office, particularly in the current Democratic Party. I mean, you know, you, you're going to need a, a it's going to be it would be a competitive primary, even if he was in it. Um, he, he doesn't have, with all due respect, the kind of charisma that sometimes we like to see our politicians having today. Maybe he's more substantive than that. But sometimes in this era of performative politics, uh, social media and tele- TV and what have you, that's not a, a virtue. That's a problem. That's a, that's a liability. Um, the National Party might not find him quite as attractive in a Senate race. Um, you know, the, the North Ca- people in North Carolina see him as a, I think, as a very competent manager, um, but not a, you know, s- someone who stirs the soul. Uh, you know, I think it would be, I think it would be difficult for him. But as you said, Don, He'd be term limited. He's he's a political animal. He's, you know, he's been in poli- elected office for over twenty years, um, uh, well over twenty years now. Um, it might he might find it tempting, but it, it would be a. T- I I think he'd be in, in a tough race to even win the Democratic nomination, uh, let alone actually be elected senator. I very seldomly express any opinions on this program because that's the reason I have experts on like Andy Taylor. But I've got a thought, and I want to hear your reaction to it. And that is, it would seem like at, at this moment right now, unless things change, 
someone coming in from the business world with no political background whatsoever, but a well-known businessman who is not tied down to any political party necessarily, but would have to choose to run on one, might be an interesting candidate. It might be a, a, a time where the public is ready to say, wait a minute, I'm tired of politicians. I want someone else. And this person looks like a decent candidate. What do you think about that? Possibly, although, you know, um, you know, that's kind of what Trump, I mean, you're sort of loosely describing Trump. And I think one of the things that, one of the reasons why Trump lost, and of course, remember the election was well before the, the, the assault on the Capitol and all that kind of stuff, is that I think people are, are exhausted. Um, there's this sort of level of Trump exhaustion uh, of, of they've, they've had enough of the different. They've had enough of the, of the drama. Um, uh, they might want someone who is, is, is less like that. Now, you might be assuming that that person's personality is very different from Trump, even though their, uh, professional, background, their <laughs> professional background is very similar. Yeah. But their personality is very different. Right? If their no. personality is very different, maybe maybe that is the case. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I have not sure. someone who is apolitical and, and uh, not at all like Trump. That's what. Well, Trump is. Trump was very. I mean, as far as a presidential candidate was concerned, Trump was pretty nonpartisan or apartisan. And he, we didn't even. He didn't really even know he was a Republican until not that long before running for president. He'd given to Democrats very recently. Um, and ideologically, he's obviously very kind of ambiguous or ambidextrous, if you want to call it that. So he will, it's not clear that he really had a sort of political background. What's the most important thing that we ought to be looking for to happen in the next 100 days? I think it's going to be focused on coronavirus. I think it will be public health. Let's get the, the vaccine rolled out uh, and let's get that going well. And then I think Biden's going to go for a massive stimulus, which will include PPP, small businesses, uh, bigger stimulus checks to individuals, uh, and a lot more than Trump wanted uh, spending for state and local governments. I think that's what he's going to really focus on in the first hundred. Interesting. Well, Andy Taylor, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Andy Taylor, professor of political science at North Carolina State. Uh, university, and we will uh, look forward to seeing uh, exactly what's going to happen in the next uh, couple of months and look forward to having you back on. The program has been produced by Jason Kong, and we'll have another interesting guest on the same series of stations all across North Carolina next week. Uh, again, if you'd like to hear a repeat of the broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Carolina Newsmakers.